You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. This is the last Sunday before Easter, and we're in the last moments of Jesus' earthly life. And and, as I've been reading this passage over and over this week, I have felt the depth of what Jesus has done for us all over again. And so I I just want to pray that this morning that you and I will both... uh, embrace everything that the cross means for us, that the table means for us. So Lord, I do ask that. I pray that you would give us a grace this morning. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to this church, and eyes to see it in the word and a heart to receive everything you have for us. In Jesus' name. Turn with me to John chapter 19. We're going to look at verse 28 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to read the whole passage for you, and then I'm going to kind of walk back up that passage to show you the layers in it, and then we're going to focus on just two, maybe three verses in this, uh, in this section. John chapter 19, verse 28. The best way to engage the message always is with the Bible, something to write on. So um, if you've got that, look at verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished... <laughs> Everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. I want you to underline that. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Underline that, blood and water. The man who saw it, and this is Jesus, excuse me, this is John saying this. He's writing this. He's kind of third person, but this is John. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may believe. John is saying all of these things. He's given us every detail so you can believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. 
This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So this section, like I said, it comes to us in layers. The bottom layer is those two guys, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, both of whom had followed Jesus quietly because they were afraid of what might happen if they let him know what they were really thinking. That's painful, isn't it? And probably it's close to home for some of us. There's a lot of fear that walks around with our faith. And Joseph and Nicodemus tell us this has been happening from the very beginning. So they're the ones, who, they're the ones, fearful people, people who didn't really want to say what they believed. They're the ones who actually put Jesus' body into a tomb. That's the bottom layer of this little scene. The, the layer just above that is about blood and water. You, you stick a knife into somebody's side after they've died, you expect blood to come out, but not that mixture of blood and water in such a way that you could see it separate. The first thing that comes to my mind is the Nile. Do you remember back in the plagues of the Pharaoh when, um, when they, the Jesus, excuse me, God actually turned the water of the Nile into blood? He's been kind of in this business for a while. But, but there's so much more to that. You, th- this is sacrifice and the spirit. Water also connotes the spirit and the, and the atonement and baptism. And, and John doesn't want us to miss it. The water is the womb as well. And, the, and it's the baptism. It's new life. It's the, it's, the, it's, it's the thing that soothes the parched body. There's a lot in that water and blood that flow from Jesus' side. And then that top layer, just as we started in verse 28, 29, 30, there's these two words. So there's two men, there's two signs, and there's two words. They're the last words Jesus speaks on this earth. And that's where I want to focus today. Um, but, but before we even get there, I want to start with the words that Jesus gave to Pilate when he was still standing in front of him, but kind of being interviewed uh, back in John 18. It's th- these are the words that we've been using to talk about the alternate kingdom that Jesus ushers in with his death and resurrection. So will you read this together with me? My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So my kingdom is not of this world, Jesus says. Some translations say my kingdom is not from this world. It's, it's, it's something completely other. You're not going to recognize it as truth, Pilate, because it doesn't come from your worldview. There's another kingdom beyond this world. And that's a lot to absorb. And maybe for some of us, that's, that's, that's It makes it hard for us to prepare our hearts for a Messiah who's here but not here or for a king whose kingdom is intangible but ever-present. That's a big ask. The faith requirement for that kind of concept is huge. And maybe that's why Jesus once said it. If if you just take a corner of it, just a speck of it, just a seed of it, just that much is a good place to start. You're making progress. Because my kingdom is a lot to take in. It's not of this world. It's what Jesus told Pilate, a Roman governor. The truth Jesus brings is from another reality, and Pilate couldn't absorb that, and so Pilate had him put to death. 
hangs a sign over his head, the king of the Jews, and lets them nail this man to a cross. And John wants us to take in the whole scene while he reminds us that all of this, even the hardest part was God's plan, all of it, all of it prophesied right down to what they did with his clothes. And then John 19, 28, knowing that everything had now been finished and so the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I want you to think about that. This is the first of, the, of, of, of two last words, and by words we really mean statements, that Jesus spoke from the cross. The last thing people say before they leave a job. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Like, why? <laughs> well, the last thing you say before you leave a job, they ought to pay attention to it. That's your real reason. The last thing you say when you're angry with somebody and you walk out of a room that's what you pay attention to. The last thing people say when they're in their final, day, uh, final days, you pay attention to that. I had the greatest privilege. A couple of weeks ago, I, I shared with you, my father-in-law died, Steve's stepfather, and I was with him just a couple of days before he died. And, and um, so he was completely out of it. Just before I left him that day, I got right up in his face and I said, Joe, I love you so much. I love you, Joe. And Joe said, I love you. I'll hang on to those last words for the rest of my life. You listen, you pay attention to the last words. So Christian tradition makes a thing of those last words that Jesus spoke while he was hanging on a cross. And these are the seven words Jesus spoke from that cross to God, uh, his father. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine the strength it took while you were hanging by nails to be able to say something like that? To the good thief, Jesus said, you know, the one that actually kind of came to Christ in the last moments, or came to believe in him. To the good thief, he said, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. That became such a teaching moment about grace to Mary, his mother, he said, woman, behold your son. And to John, behold your mother. Even hanging there on a cross, Jesus was beginning to build the new humanity, the community of the faithful. To God, his father, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Giving us permission to at times despair and doubt. To all of us, he said, I am thirsty. Or at least to all the people who were standing in front of him. And to the world, he said, it is finished. And then finally to God, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. In John's account of Jesus' death, because he's an evangelist, he, he only focuses on those two. I am thirsty and it is finished. Those two words that were spoken to everybody. Jesus said, I am thirsty. And he said that while he was hanging on a cross. He's not asking for sweet tea, friends. Not I am in pain. Not why are y'all, somebody come help me. I am thirsty. And that's not Jesus expressing his lack. That is Jesus giving us a prayer straight out of the book of Isaiah. Come all you who are thirsty, Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. 
This is Jesus answering our basest instinct. He's speaking to a deep yearning most of us feel. We want more. We all want more. Come on, give me an amen, friends. Okay. Give me an amen again. Y'all are having to talk for the other half who are at the National or on vacation someplace, so you've got an extra job today. We all want more. That's why we have midlife crises and why we have affairs and then get divorced. It's why we do drugs. It's why we get impatient and angry. We make those bad decisions because we are literally dying of thirst. And that same thirst is why we cry in front of artwork and when we listen to country music songs. (laughs) And it's why we show up at church after we've been gone a while. Anybody, who in here recognizes the name Raquel Welch? Yeah, most of you. If you're younger, you have no clue. (laughs) You have to be from my generation to remember Raquel. She was a mega movie star, a mega movie star back in the 60s and 70s. She was a babe. Made her whole life built around her looks. She had four marriages. But then something inside of her woke up. The reason I'm talking about her, she just died a few weeks ago, like maybe three weeks ago. When her sister was diagnosed with cancer, Raquel realized there had to be something more than this life. That's what she said. There has to be something more than this life. That was when her sister was diagnosed with cancer. And then her mom died. And that's when she, um, when she really realized there needed to be more. She wrote, she, she wrote a memoir in 2010, and she wrote this. She said, it wasn't logic that brought me to this sense of infinity. I, I allowed myself to, to experience a primal instinct higher than thought. A primal instinct higher than thought. That primal instinct, that's thirst. It was her thirst coming back. And then when her mother died, she, that, that thirst grew stronger. And five decades after she had last walked out of a church building, she prayed. She asked God to show her how to walk back in. So she wrote this. She wrote, I managed an awkward, inept prayer to ask where I should look for such a sanctuary. It was embarrassing. I wasn't sure exactly to whom I was praying anymore. So I prayed to the God of my childhood, and lo and behold, he was still there. So I prayed to the God of my childhood, and lo and behold, he was still there. She ended up in a little Presbyterian church about a few miles outside of Hollywood, Maybe 30 people total. Can you imagine if you're that 30 people church and Raquel Welch walks in the door? (laughs) And she lived the rest of her life rebuilding her faith in that little family of believers. My goodness, what an impact we can make when we rediscover our thirst. It's not only one of Jesus' last words. It's among the last words of the whole Bible. This is Revelation chapter 22. I mean, literally, in the last verses, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Oh, friends, are you thirsty? You know, one of the greater dangers or hazards of getting older is that you lose your sense of thirst. It's why so many older adults end up with a UTI. They're dehydrated. 
It's a difficult thing to lose your sense of thirst. Spiritually, it's fatal. Are you thirsty? Are you allowing yourself to feel it? How are you feeding that thirst? Look at verse 29. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it because they totally misunderstood what he was talking about. Put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. That's the second word that John shares. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. Finishing the work of saving his people is the real work of a real king. And so what looks like dark, like, like the darkest day in human history is actually the most hopeful of all. This is the day of our redemption by the blood of the Lamb. Come on. And then this has to be, a, this has been a big word. This, it, this has to be a big word for all of us. It's been a big word for me, in the past week especially, for some reason. This, this idea, I've been thinking about it, this finished work of Jesus. When Jesus is hanging on the cross saying, it is finished, you hadn't yet been born. You hadn't yet messed up really, really bad a lot of times. So the work was finished and is still being finished. You hear what I'm saying? It's two things. It's both what has been accomplished and also what is working its way out. Maybe not done, but as good as. And I've been thinking about, as, as I've been thinking about this, this, this I've been meditating on, it is finished. I keep coming back to this thing that happened to me last June. Do you remember when I told you about going to the Aldersgate Renewal Ministry Conference last June? And, um, and, and uh, Aldersgate is a group of charismatic Methodists. The first night I was there, Kevin Watson, this is an amazing man of God, he spoke a word on, over me that only the Holy Spirit could have given him. It was a word the Holy Spirit knew I needed. It was an amazing word. It was a healing word. I was thirsty. And that word came to me like water in the desert. It really did. And that was at dinner. We weren't even at the worship service yet. We got to the worship service, and it was a good worship service, but I'd kind of already gotten my word. So when they lined all the prayer ministers up front, I thought, well, I'm just going to go get prayed over, and then I'm going to head back to my room because I got my word, right? I, 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 I was good, and I was tired. But just about the time I had that thought, I'll just go up there and get my prayer. Just about the time I had my thought, Reverend uh, Bishop Jonathan Holston, Bishop of the South Carolina Conference, he came walking right over to me, arms wide open, clearly coming straight for me. And when he gets to me, he enfolds me in this huge bear hug, and he begins to pray over me in tongues. Yeah, I mean, a United Methodist bishop praying over me in tongues. I have a lot of respect for Jonathan Holston. And he, and he lays his hands on my head and he keeps praying. And I'm not even sure what he's praying over me. Some of it's in English and I'm still not sure what he was praying over me. I'm just stunned by the moment that here I am and this bishop is praying over me. And then I get laid out in the spirit. I mean, I go down. That's not something that happens often. And I, I get my first ever case of holy laughter had never happened to me before and I'd love to say more about that but that's really not the point of all of this I'm just down there on the floor laughing and 
I just have to tell you, it was the sweetest, strangest experience I'd had in a long time. I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. And somewhere in there, I heard this. It's over. It's over. And I knew immediately what it was about. Because for the whole first half of last year, 2022, I'd been in a really rough place emotionally. In fact, I distinctly remember on the way to that conference, I was in the car driving up there, and I remember thinking to myself, it's, I can't think, I can't even think when I have last laughed. I'd been in a rough place, but that night I heard that word, it's over. And I knew it was God telling me the worst of it was over, the worst of the depression, the worst of the grief, the worst of the anxiety, over all the circumstances that seemed to have clouded my ministry now for years. And the fact was, it wasn't exactly over. Clearly, it's not over. But in a very real way, hope came over me. A faith in God who would see me through. I totally believe it was God speaking prophetically over me, over us, actually. Letting us know that his hand is over our lives, over our circumstances, over, and, and while we may have to live some things out for a while, the promise is that it will eventually be over and God will sustain us as we wait. It is finished. Which is not to say it's all been wrapped up and resolved and is now past tense, but that God himself has declared a destination and he has pointed his people toward it and nothing will stop him from getting his people where his people are designed to go. Hallelujah. It is finished. It was finished the day Abraham walked out and looked up in the sky and, and started to count the stars, each one of them, the number of his children, and he had not yet sired the first one. It was finished when the Israelites walked out of Egypt, even though they would wander in the desert for 40 more years. It was finished the day Mary was miraculously conceived, even though she still had a birth and a boy to raise and a son to see die on a cross. It is finished does not relieve us of the waiting, the wandering, the enduring, but it ought to relieve us of the doubting. Because when God says it is finished, we can count on that. And that's what I believe Jesus meant when he breathed out those final words on the cross. Yes, it meant his earthly tour was finished, that he completed the work to which God had called him. And it also means his purposes are being worked out in this world and that the enemy of those purposes cannot stop what God has set in motion. It is finished means that our worst enemy has been defeated. And while he can discourage and pester, he has no more power over anything we don't willingly give him power over. The page has been turned on human history. A new kingdom has arrived, is arriving. Come on, friends. So listen, when we talk about begin again Christianity this is what we're talking about. Beginning again isn't about learning how to cope in a hopeless situation that's a, that's a dead end for us. It's not learning how to tweak behavior either. When we talk about begin again religion, which is what Jesus preached, we're talking about the kind of life that understands there will be valleys, but there will also be mountaintops. 
There will be death, but there will also be resurrection. And I'm thinking that for some of us, that invitation to begin again is exactly what we need. Because there are people in this room who have been avoiding Jesus for a while. And there are people in this room who have the negatives in your life have piled up and piled up and piled up. And somewhere along the way, you got to the place where you felt like maybe you did not deserve to begin again. Or maybe you're one who's been saying for a while now that you will pull your spiritual life together when you pull the rest of your life together. Somehow you've come to feel unworthy of God's attention since you've been giving him so little of yours. And there are people in this room who know Jesus and who make it to church on a regular basis but have lost their thirst. You haven't really done that thing where you bring it all out into the light and and then put to death everything that isn't eternal. And I want to say to you, I want to say to you, to you who are feeling like it's all a dead end, and to you who have lost your thirst, I want to say to you, this story, this story is for you. Jesus on the cross was speaking to you. Because he walked through death and came out on the other side, Jesus can now look at your worst through the lens of grace. And over the worst of it, he says, it is finished. And over what's left of you, he says, be thirsty. (laughs) So do you have unfinished business with Jesus? Is there unforgiveness in your life? Are you harboring bitterness? Or is there a promise God has spoken over you that's still in process and and you need to remember that what God starts, he finishes. We said there were seven last words of Jesus on the cross and John only talks about two of them. So John's telling of Jesus' death misses the cry of Jesus from the cross. When he agonizes over what it feels like to be completely alone. Luke is the one who tells us that when Jesus was up on the cross, he cried out to God with this terrible sense of abandonment. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Haven't we all cried that cry? I mean, haven't we all at some point felt God's silence and distance and absence when we're hurting? And according to the Bible, God didn't answer that cry, at least not in a way that immediately relieved all Jesus' suffering. But what we know is that in that very moment when Jesus was crying out, even if God wasn't saying anything, God was doing something amazing. In that very moment, as Paul said to the Corinthians, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. 
It was in that very moment when Christ felt most alone that God was doing his most powerful work through Jesus for the world, which is to say that Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is in the same conversation with Jesus, it is finished. Do you remember when you were a little kid and the gang on your street got together to play ball or tag or whatever? And there was always one guy in the group who couldn't stand to lose. As soon as things didn't go his way, he quit. Do you remember that guy? Jesus would not have been that guy. And I think by the way he taught, even from the cross... He's challenging us not to be that guy either. Don't quit. Don't drown in the shallow end. That's what gets me about the scene with these guys. You know, the ones who are standing at the cross while Jesus was there. The one, they're standing at the cross and they're saying, no, 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 no. Don't say that he's, he's the king of the Jews. Don't, don't say that. He's not our king. It just becomes so Obvious in that moment how off balance they are. <laughs> because it is precisely, listen to me, it is precisely at the cross that Jesus becomes our king. They totally missed it. It's when we deal at the cross with all our unfinished business. It's when we come to the table and deal with our lack of thirst. That's when Jesus becomes king for us. So do you have unfinished business with Jesus? Is there unforgiveness in your life? Is there bitterness harboring inside of you? Are you impatient with a plan? God is still working out, trying hard to control what is not yours to control. Those are the kinds of questions we talk about at this table. This is where we air it all out. Where we get honest about who we've been and what we need to confess. So I want to invite you to bow your head, close your eyes. Just right now, just set everything aside. We're coming to the table. But on our way to the table, Jesus has business for us. I want to ask you, do you need to confess unforgiveness or bitterness, hard hearts or anger, judgment? Do you need to confess doubt and fear, unholy anxiety, a worry? Do you need to confess unholy habits? 
Here's the thing with unholy habits. We tend to compartmentalize ourselves really well when it comes to those. And we'll simply place them in a whole other part of us. So we no longer have that sense of conviction around them. So I'm asking you, open all the doors. Open all the windows. Do you need to confess distance? laziness in places where you've not been, you've not loved with your whole heart. I just saw this last week that when, for harboring judgment, we can't connect. It doesn't mean we don't know the difference between right and wrong. It simply means that we've decided to place our biases in front of our opportunity to love. Are you harboring unholy thoughts? Confess anything that needs to hang on that cross and not around your neck. Maybe there is some unfinished business in this room, and maybe there are also people who are thirsty or who don't, worse yet, don't realize you're thirsty. Do you want more? If you're thirsty, I want to invite you just to pray this prayer with me. God, I am thirsty. It's that simple. I said, Jesus gave us a prayer on the cross. He gave us a prayer. God, I am thirsty. For way too long, I've been sitting here in my thirst, complaining and frustrated until that way of being has come to define my life. I become numb to my own thirst. I've lost sight of your promise of abundance. And instead, I have only been in this for what it's worth for me. Now I understand that I've left myself unsatisfied. I, I have left myself in a very vulnerable place, Lord, thirsty but not realizing it. So, Lord, I'm asking you to fill my cup. I confess my fears and failures to you as sin, and I claim your promise that if I surrender, I can begin a new life right now. Allow me to drink from your well, Jesus. Allow me to drink from your well. Yeah. And Jesus' response to you is, I am the water of life. I am the living water. And I am bread everything you need. On the night he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread and he broke it. Now I'm going to stop right here and let the kids come in. I don't want to do two things at once. It's awfully hard to
night Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread and he broke it. He gave thanks to his Father in heaven for it. And he gave it to his friends and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Broken so that you might find completeness. After supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks to his Father for it. And he gave it to his friends and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant. My blood poured out for you and for many. Sacrifice, one sacrifice for all time. A seal of the covenant. As often as you drink from this cup, I pray that your thirst would be quenched and that your thirst would be stoked. So Lord, we give you thanks for these gifts. We ask you to make them be for us the very body and blood of Christ. Lord, we ask that you would make us the body of Christ. Make us one with each other and one with your purposes in the world. God, please, through these gifts and through the cross, span the gap between the best we can do and your holiness. We love you, Jesus. We pray this prayer in the name of the one who loved us first, our Lord Jesus Christ. Come, Jesus, come, Holy Spirit. Fill your people and fill your church. We can't wait to feast at your heavenly banquet tables. All honor and glory is yours. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.